happy Shavuot. No, no one else? No one else woke up this morning and thought, it's Shavuot today. I hope you've all brought your grain offering. No? I meant to wave a grain offering. Has, Has no one brought that with them? We're in a bit of trouble then, because today is Shavuot, the festival of weeks, 49 days or seven weeks after Passover. Genuinely, Charlie, you, did you not bring the grain? The, the harvest, the first fruit, did you not bring that? I'm sermon over, might as well stop now. We're talking about Pentecost today. Shavuot was the original Hebrew festival. We'll come on to that later. I'll explain why I'm making a fool of myself. And um, we're going to look at four things with Pentecost. Four firsts. First fruits. The first purpose. The first of the last days. And the first amongst all. I promise by the end that will make more sense. If you can remember one, we'll be doing well. So... Have a look at me, have a look with me at Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. In fact, Acts chapter 1, what has gone before? We've had the ascension of Christ, Christ being taken up into heaven to be with his Father and promising the Spirit. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The apostles then appoint Matthias as a replacement for Judas. Judas has has, um, betrayed Jesus and in fact, by this point, actually taken his own life. So the apostles deem it appropriate to appoint Matthias as his replacement. And then they're waiting in a room, sat there in Jerusalem, probably fearful, probably wondering what's going to happen next, when a mighty sound of wind rushes through the room, and yet the room, the air is still. And tongues of fire blaze above their heads, and yet they're not burnt. And there's, there's not that burning of fire, but they can see it all. And they begin to speak in other languages. They begin to speak in all these nations' languages that Charlie read so well. There's a few tricky ones in there. And suddenly speaking in in languages they, they have never spoken before. And they preach in, in Jerusalem to all these people. And Peter preaches from uh, Joel saying, this, this that is happening now is that. This outpouring of the Spirit, this speaking in other languages, this wind, this fire, is exactly what Joel promised when he said, I will pour out my Spirit. And 3,000 are added to their number. 3,000 people turn to faith in Christ and start following along the way. So that is the story of Pentecost and we're going to look at some ideas. So firstly, first fruits. As I said, Pentecost or or Shavuot in Hebrew. Pentecost comes from the word for 50 in Greek. 
Shavuot comes from the word for weeks in Hebrew. It was the festival in weeks. We can see it here um, in Deuteronomy 16. You shall count seven weeks from Pentecost. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing corn. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free, offer, free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. All are going to celebrate this festival. Everyone within you, celebrate. It was tied to the harvest. There were two harvests that Israel would go through, the grain harvest and the grape harvest. This came at the time of the grain harvest. And what you would do is you would bring your first fruits of the harvest and offer it as a thanksgiving to the Lord. Hence why I was hoping Charlie might have some wheat with him. And we see the fruit of the harvest in the Old Testament and in the Jew Jewish tradition. And in our Christian tradition and in Pentecost, we see the fruit of the Spirit. We celebrate the giving of the, the Spirit to us, just as the Jews used to celebrate the giving of the law. One of the traditions that still goes on today as part of the Hebrew celebration of Shavuot is to stay up all night reading the law, celebrating the law that was given to Moses. And we celebrate the giving of the Spirit. The law being given into our hearts, no longer a book for us to read, but a Spirit that dwells within us. And we see this promised in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new Spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. God gave the law as a provision but not in, that, that, that was never meant to solve the problem. Now he gives us his spirit so that we can actually follow him. The law was never meant to be followed. We will always fall short, and yet now he's given us his spirit. Now, but not yet. Now we are new creations in Christ with the spirit dwelling within us, but still waiting for the resurrection to come. So the first point, the first fruits, not of the harvest, but of the spirit. We see this at Pentecost. Secondly, the first purpose. Not the first purpose of Pentecost, but the first purpose of creation. Can anyone remember God's first command to people in the Bible? There's a prize, there isn't a prize, but let's pretend there's a prize if you get it right. God's first command in the Bible. Any ideas? Guesses are allowed. Ken? 
pretty close, pretty close. There's one that comes even before that. Genesis 1, verse 26. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. The first command, be fruitful, multiply and rule over the land. Not in a way that, that we sometimes see in our world of destroying the land, but stewarding it, caring for it. And sometimes we see this preached on, on, in Pentecost as a reversal of Babel. Babel, the, the story in Genesis, the Tower of Babel, where people came together speaking one language, building a tower in their own strength, staying in one place, to glorify themselves rather to God. They said, we're, we're going to build this tower so that we might reach God. They'd been told to go out and spread and multiply, and they said, no, we're going to stay here with one language in one place. And the reversal is not doing away with language. They don't all start suddenly speaking English or Hebrew or some spiritual language. They're all speaking different languages. So it doesn't do away with language, but it enables a diverse spread that was originally intentioned. It's not, God isn't interested in unifying language, but making it available for all. Exactly what Joel said. Turn with me into Acts 2, and we'll see that Joel, the, the passage that Joel, um, Peter quotes from Joel, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants, everyone. It's not that young men will see visions and old men shall dream dreams. It's that this is now for all. Babel wanted one nation. Pentecost enables all nations. The point isn't that the Spirit speaks one language. Instead, the Spirit speaks your language, no matter who you are. Someone put it far eloquently than I in these words. Instead of people climbing up to God, we testify that God came down to us. Instead of people gathering in one location to make their own name great, we are now scattering all over the earth to make God's name great. Instead of language being a barrier to man's mission of self-glorification, languages are now redeemed in order for the trying God's mission of glorifying himself to move forward. We return to multiplying across earth. Not necessarily like little babies like Ezra and Numi and although it may well be as we see. But with people coming into the family and the nation of God through faith. And how does faith come? Through hearing. And now all can hear. So it's a return to the first purpose. Thirdly, we see the first of the last days. And 
You may ask, as I often do, what on earth are the last days? Well, I think one picture that helps us to think about this is D-Day to V-Day. On this, a poignant week to remember the 75th anniversary of D-Day. We see a, a, a remarkable um, illustration of, of what's going on. That on D-Day, the war was won. The forces invaded and, and essentially, I know there's a lot of bloodshed and fighting to be done after, but the momentous occasion had happened. The cross is D-Day. Christ wins all the victory that needs to happen, and yet we're still waiting for V-Day. We're still waiting for that, that celebration and that, that fulfillment. V-Day is when Christ comes again. D-Day was Christ on the cross. And Peter takes the scriptures his hearers already believe and shows that how they point to Jesus as the yes to all God's promises. Jerusalem would have been filled with Jews coming to celebrate Shavuot. And Peter says, look, Joel 2 is fulfilled. This is that. Exodus 20, when there's the giving of the law, we see wind and fire remarkably similar to as described in the upper room. And Ezekiel 36, as we've already seen, I will pour out my spirit, I will give you new hearts and, and give you my spirit. Even in the New Testament, we see Jesus talking about it. John 14, we had a few weeks ago, Charlie was preaching on that Jesus was saying, I will send my advocate, that there will be one after me. In Acts 1, 8, as we saw earlier, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is a fulfillment of not just Old Testament, but also what Christ has been promising. I don't know if anyone here has heard of the Aswan Dam. Anyone ever knew about Oh, yeah, a couple. I, I didn't. So if, if you don't, you're, you're in good company. If you want to know about it later, ask Stuart. Um, I'll give you a few key points, though. Three, 375 foot wide. 11,000 feet across. A big old dam in the middle of the Nile. It took almost 20 years to build, from 1953 to 1971, and 12 turbines produced 10 billion kilowatt hours of energy. I don't actually know how much that is, but it sounds like a lot, right? I don't know if anyone's a scientist here. 10 billion kilowatt hours. In other words, enough power to light every city in Egypt. And during construction, the Nile wasn't totally stopped. They had to channel it to, to fill this reservoir that they'd created, but they allowed a little to flow past. And someone wrote this about what was going on. Country folk downstream depended on it. They drank it, they washed in it, it watered their crops and turned their mill wheels. They sailed on it in the moonlight and wrote songs about it. It was their life. 
But on the day when the reservoir poured through the turbines, a power was unleashed that spread far beyond the few folk down the river and brought possibilities they had only dreamed of. The spirit is poured out just as the, the water was poured out in Egypt. Before Pentecost, the river of God's spirit blessed the people of Israel and it was their very life. But after Pentecost, the power of the spirit spread out to light the whole world. None of the benefits enjoyed in the pre-Pentecostal days were taken away. But 10 billion kilowatt hours were added to enable the church to take the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, to every tribe, tongue, and nation. The Spirit was poured out and suddenly the church was enabled in power by the Spirit to proclaim the good news. Suddenly, a group of, of 12 men went from hiding in a room in Jerusalem to speaking boldly the good news of Christ. It's the first of the last days, the days where the Spirit enables bold evangelism in the church. It's the birth of the church. One vicar, when they were preaching on Pentecost, at the start of the sermon, asked the whole church to sing happy birthday. Don't worry, we're not going to do that. I know, it's a shame. But the point being, Pentecost was the birth of the church. Spirit-enabled people multiplying and adding to the numbers. And finally, our fourth first, first amongst all. Christ is the first amongst us all. He was the firstborn amongst many, we read in Colossians 1. Charlie took us through John 17 the other day. And it, it illustrates that the point of the Spirit is to point to Christ. And the point of Christ is to point to the Father. And we see that Pentecost, although we talk about the Spirit so much, and, and rightly, and he's, he's poured out, ultimately is, is pointing to the rest of the Trinity. If the Father is a bulb in a projector then Christ is the film and the Spirit is the light. Let me try and talk us through that slightly. The Father is the one behind it all, shining through. Christ is the image that we see and the Spirit is the one who carries that image to us. We can see Christ because the Spirit brings him to us and we can see the Father because he's embodied in Christ. It is Christ we proclaim. It is Christ we worship and Pentecost was as much worship as it was evangelism. People speaking the good news of God and people worshipping as a result. Pentecost is the pouring out of the Spirit to enable us to worship Christ and and through Christ know the Father. So, first fruits, first purpose, first of the last days, and first amongst all. Great. 
What relevance does that have to us? What's the point in knowing this? What's the point in Pentecost for us? Well, it means we can live as renewed people. The first fruits, the fruits of the Spirit we see in Pentecost, we are also part of that harvest. We are also part of the the nation of God that can live renewed lives, enabled by the Spirit. No longer trying to follow the law, making the right sacrifices on the right days, following the right things at the right time, but loving a Father in heaven. It's no longer what we do, it's who we love and who we trust, Christ. We can live again for that first purpose. Again, renewed and enabled by the Spirit, we can multiply. Whether we have kids or not, it's not about that. It's about seeing people coming in to the family of God through evangelism, through relationship, enabled by the Spirit. Thirdly, we're living in the last days. Someone once said that, ironically, the last days are often the last thing we think about. And perhaps it should be one of the first. What does it look like for us to live like Christ could return before the end of this service? Before the end of this sermon, which I promise is nearly at the end. How does it change our lives thinking every day, Christ is returning soon? Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe in a thousand years time, we don't know, but... That's the point. We don't know. Let's live like he's returning tomorrow. Let's make use of our time. Let's proclaim his goodness while we can. And finally, we live to exalt Christ. The first amongst all. The one the Spirit came to point us to. Living lives of worship. Thanking him for all that he's done for us. Acknowledging the life that we have in him. Singing songs, reading readings, saying liturgy. Coming together as community and family to proclaim him as Lord. So as we finish, Pentecost saw the birth of the church. Spirit-enabled people living for Christ, proclaiming Christ, worshipping Christ. And we too as a result, have the Spirit poured out and we become Spirit-enabled people living for Christ, proclaiming Christ, worshipping Christ.